often their first question will be, was that right? And in your heart, you want to say, well, what a ridiculous question. You say, was that coaching session right? But in a way, our systems have prepared us for that and our sporting culture prepares us to think about it in that way as well, that almost there is a right way to do it. Our coach education systems in across the sports for years has sort of said, if you do it this way, you will pass, for example, or you will get through. Or if you uh, replicate this practice, then you will be the next level or you will be a better coach if you do it like person x etc um and i think actually that's fundamentally unhelpful in trying to learn about uh, sort of educationally informed processes and programs Welcome, this is the Liverpool FA Podcast. Our aim is to provide regular insight from a variety of experts to help you in your own grassroots football journey. We'll do this through interviews, roundtable discussions and by linking to other resources to help support you. For more information about each episode, just tap the album art, which will provide you with more about our guests and links to further content. Our guests today are Dr. Andy Kale and Dr. Don Vinson from Worcester University. Andy is a UEFA Pro license holder. He has a PhD in sports psychology from Loughborough University and previously head of player development at the FA. Don is a senior fellow of the Higher Education Authority and is also on the England Under-16 hockey coaching staff. In this episode, we have a real in-depth conversation on a load of topics, including philosophy and practice, coaching values, beliefs, moral dilemmas, and the impact of culture and context on coaching behaviours. It was an absolute pleasure. Don and Andy are so articulate, and to be honest, it was a challenge to keep up with the depth of conversation at times. took a while to get warmed up, but once we got going, we got into some real great discussion. I hope you enjoy. Dr. Don Vinson, Dr. Andy Kale, welcome to the show. Thanks for inviting me down to Worcester University today. Um, ever since the idea of the podcast came about, I've been really wanting to get you two both on. And for those listening in, Don and Andy have been tutoring a group of our team in the grassroots department on a postgrad course since last summer. Um, and I've had a huge impact on, on the way that we think and, and deliver uh, gents, We'll get into your coaching CVs as we go, but for now, if you could give us a brief summary of what your work entails at the university. So Andy, I don't know if you want to go first. I'm um, relatively new to the university, been here three years now in total, and I'm currently course leader on the sports coaching degree pathway. Um, work with Don on postgraduate and master's level work. Um, we both try and engage with governing bodies in terms of coach learning, coach education and how to help coaches develop and how to help governing bodies develop their coaches um yeah so my uh, work is not is not dissimilar to andy's i lead the uh, master's degree uh, the postgraduate stuff in sports coaching um which uh, as andy uh, suggests sort of involves um just uh, helping if you like the slightly older or more mature uh, coaches develop their practice um and also my sort of other role within the department is I'm trying to help our group of staff develop their uh, research culture uh, and trying to help them to uh, 
uh, be more confident about uh, inquiring and, and writing about their experiences yeah and that inquiring i can i can certainly vouch for because we, we met for the first time last summer when the when our course started don and that's the first time i've come across you and i um you definitely had a profound effect on my own critical thinking and got got me to look at things in a in a different way um so thank you for that <laughs> uh, andy i'm still licking my wounds from the sound beating that you gave me on the golf course yesterday so i wanted to get my own back um last night i challenged you to place where we first met did you manage to remember no, and I didn't cheat. I didn't go and look at any resources. I didn't ask, phone a friend or anybody. No, so go on, you'll have to tell me. So believe it or not, I probably wouldn't be sat here right now talking to you guys if uh, if we hadn't met, I I believe it was 2006, Keele University, psychology, FA Psychology for Soccer, level three. And at one stage, you had us playing a full 11-a-side game with an imaginary ball. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> I had to play a lot of 11-a-side imaginary football because I wasn't particularly good, so I did use it as a technique quite a lot. Oh, that's fantastic. That uh, that whole process of trying to introduce psychology into coaches and via different courses was a, an exciting time, and uh, it's gone very well. So I'm glad it had some effect. I'm yeah. glad to see it's made you perfectly sane and philosophically sound. <laughs> um, I, think, I think the topic was visualisation, actually, but uh, I remember sat in the uh, in the room i think it might be on the on the last day of the course thinking that's the sort of work that i'd love to get into it seems like a, i was a fresh graduate out of university and it definitely inspired me to to go on and, and do more so thanks for that um i'd like to to uh, we're going to sp spend most of the the episode talking around um coaching philosophy and practice um, but before we dive into that i'd like to get into your your history your coaching history so if you wouldn't mind giving us a, a, a kind of run through of where you started and and your journey through coaching to where you are now don well yeah very briefly um i went to university to study uh p in sports science and and maths we don't talk about the latter too much um but uh, I went to be a PE teacher and realised fairly quickly that that's not what I wanted to do um, and sort of got a real passion for coaching uh, there and did the very typical thing of uh, just collecting a whole suite of, of coaching awards uh, in various sports, mainly in the, in the invasion games, but in some other things as well. Um, but also in my main sport. My main sport is, is field hockey uh, and I played... Uh, played and coached that uh, and really that was the only coaching then that I did for most of my playing career just bits and pieces here and there working with uh, some kids some summer camps doing a bit at club uh, coaching some university teams um, and uh, really that was my uh, it was a bit it was a bit potted really all the way through my playing career just doing uh, bits and pieces and then uh, I did my coach ed awards as i was going through that but then I, I don't think i considered myself to have really started coaching until i retired i retired from playing 29 early in order to coach because i knew i'd known for a long time this was going to be the thing that i was passionate about actually probably i thought there you go ego i thought i was going to be a better coach than i was a player so i was keen to get into to coaching so retired from playing had an opportunity to coach uh, a good team good ladies team um, so I thought this is this is it for me and then really invested in that for uh, a number of years and uh, 
a few years ago uh, we might talk about this a little bit later England hockey changed um, their way of thinking and their coach education system but also their uh, junior pathway performance system and up until that point to be honest I'd, I'd kind of kept it at arm's length because um, I didn't really buy into the old way of doing things it didn't really either appeal to me I, I just couldn't I didn't want anything to do with it to be honest um, but then it changed and I thought actually this is a really good change for the better and I uh, jumped into to doing some coach education so I've been uh, doing that just little bits and pieces again for a few years uh, and I've greatly enjoyed and benefited from from being involved with that uh, and then just last uh, summer um, I finished my club coaching commitment then and, and was looking for a next opportunity um, and got a position with the uh, our under under 16 uh, England girls team assistant coaching in that in that pathway so I've been doing that for the last uh, year or so learnt uh, a great deal uh, from that experience Brilliant. if I can just jump on a, on a couple of those uh, points that you make there Don um, obviously uh, women's hockey in this country is heavily in the spotlight at the moment yeah all down to you I'm sure absolutely nothing to do with me <laughs> and yeah. you mentioned about collecting awards and it's something that I, I know I certainly experienced when I, I was started coaching that I felt that the the only way I was going to acquire any knowledge was through the medium of a formal qualification um, similar process for yourself I don't know if I gave it that much credit to be honest perhaps I was a bit of a cynic um, but I think the culture of um, our perhaps it was our undergraduate course but I think this was fairly typical it was it was almost well, just getting just collect as many as you can it was, it was like stamp collecting more than actually acquiring knowledge you know it was just get the piece of paper and I can't remember thinking at the time you know anything was particularly mind altering beneficial to be honest um, so did probably six seven eight level one coaching awards in the various things I can't remember um, having a particularly positive view of them I'm afraid at that point um, so I, I guess in terms of I, I'm struggling to think how at that time I thought I was going to to learn as a coach um, I don't think it was through that mechanism uh, but perhaps it, I just thought it was going to be through um, being coached by better and better people so I was still at that stage thinking this is my early 20s um, you know pursuing my career as a player and, and looking at the sort of the better clubs in the country and thinking how can I get into them I guess I thought if I can go there play there be coached by some some good people perhaps that's how I'll learn how to coach I think uh, but also early 20s I probably didn't think about it that much either to be honest I was still very much focused on um, you know trying to learn how to hit the ball in a straight line that was places what what time frame were we so it's early 20s rough young at the risk of giving your age away here yeah, no, what so, year are we looking at so um, I was an undergrad 1998 to 2001 uh, and then uh, I sort of continued in education, uh, did my postgrad stuff, uh, 2001, 2004. So then I got my first lecturing job in sport, 2004. So I've been doing doing this for 13 years yeah. or so. You know and the reason I ask is I was a few years behind you, but I felt in in the same way. It was almost, it was this badge collecting. Yeah. So actually, I felt that I probably missed out 
on a big impact of, for example, going in on the level three, four, five psych for soccer with Andy and his colleagues because I was just in a rush to enhance the CV. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, I wish I could go back now and almost turn back the clock and approach it in a different way. I think it's probably the, the nature of the awards, though, as well, at that time, was we will teach you a bit about the sport. And uh, so this is no fault of the, the coach educators who were, for example, delivering the Level 1 Rugby League qualification that I did. I've never played a game of Rugby League in my life, but I've got a Level 1 coaching award. Um, because, uh, and I guess I, I learnt perhaps a little bit how to teach tackling did that in the level one coaching award all the controversy around that at the moment i'm not sure that i would but i guess that was the the stock expectation of those courses we're going to learn a little bit about the sport enough perhaps to run a couple of sessions and to say you know on your uh, pe interview if we're going for a pe teacher's job yeah i can i can deliver a mm. six weeks on rugby league or something like that uh, and i guess you, know, you probably could uh, replicating the kind of materials that you've been given in that sense but genuinely learning about coaching and uh you know the heart of it uh you know that wasn't what they were about and uh so that's not what we got no and that's really the one of the founding reasons why we wanted to get this podcast out there because i certainly felt when i started my journey that the only way i was going to acquire knowledge would be from those formal courses from those educators and i remember actually moving clubs when i was about 22 um i was living where i grew up on on the isle of man after finishing university and i actually moved from my boyhood club to a uh, another club because the, the coach had an a license and i wanted to learn just by osmosis if you like yeah and I think I think we'll go on to talk about this because it's something I'm passionate about as well. In sport, we have, I think, a number of um, barriers for learning sometimes. And some of those are uh, we are we place a very high degree on uh, the quality of a performer in terms of their status in the game to the extent that uh, and this is across loads of sports we assume that the best players will make the best coaches uh, and I'm quite strongly believe that often isn't the case but also I think we also perhaps when we're beginning our coaching in those early 20s and we haven't established our, our reputation or a track record of coaching as yet almost the only thing we've got to fall back on then is in terms of our, our credibility and identity is well how good a player were you and, and so it's kind of a natural I guess in in sport I also think we we tend to look at those in positions of of power or authority or in high level positions and think oh they must be doing it right they must they must know so much more than everybody else because they're coaching this club or they've got this role with the national governing body and um and I guess that's natural as well but I think um, part of my um, you know the core of my philosophy is just is trying to challenge those um, perceptions of capability competence solely on the basis of uh, you know either a playing history or a position of power I think um, there is so much more to uh, to learning about you know in, in our case coaching than that Thanks, Dan. Andy, uh, there's, there's plenty more points that I want to pick up on there, but Andy, you've been sat there nice and patiently 
tracking back through your coaching CV archive, I'm sure. So talk us through wh- where it started for you and, and the journey to where you are now with your coaching. It helped Don going first because it triggered my memory. Had it been no good first. Um, very similar to Don in some senses in that I... Uh, I went to Loughborough University and part of that experience then, I didn't know I wanted to coach, but I knew I was fascinated by at then my main sport of football and in general, um, coaching and psychology. Those were my sort of interests and passions. Um, so went to Loughborough around 1981 and it was a high performing environment and there was something about the culture there that has probably impacted on me uh, and others significantly and I didn't realise it at the time and that's why I'm careful with my words now thinking back Um, my coaching started I was an okay performer um, good university but in football terms university players it it was pitched almost at semi-professional level so I was able to play Great Britain students went to some world student games and I was coached by some really, really talented coaches, governing body uh, appointed coaches, top coaches uh, at the time. Um, and I was amazed how different their approach to coaching was compared to some of the semi-professional and non-league coaches I'd had. And so around 19, 20, 21 as a player, I'm playing for different types of coaches. And it got me fascinated about, well, is the one way to coach then or what's the best way to coach? And so that got me stimulated in terms of coaching Um, like Don I somehow collected tennis and squash and rugby league before football in terms of formal coach education awards but it was a bit more pragmatic I needed some money I needed to work in the summers I needed to work at the Easters and I thought if I had a couple of um, badges it would make me employable and to this day the most uh, lucrative coaching experience has been teaching tennis uh, in terms of hourly paid and uh, but I realised I didn't want to teach tennis but that was my most uh, f- fantastic investment in a, in a in a sport coaching process so I was starting not I wasn't collecting uh, governing body awards I, I was just drawn to I wonder how different sports teach their coaches because it doesn't seem to be consistent so when I was 20, 21, 22, I've experienced those different sports as how do those sports teach coaches, what's important to those sports and what's important about the sport. Um, and then still at Loughborough, I completed my master's, completed my PhD, and that's two short sentences to sort of cover five, six years of work. During that five or six years, I was able to become, uh, I became too old then to play in the World Student Games. Um, there was an age limit at the time um, but I then transitioned if you like from being a player and captain to assistant coach so I became assistant coach to two Great Britain um, squads one in uh, in Buffalo in America um, and one in Sheffield and then I was fortunate enough because I'd been assistant it was almost like the coaches moved on I was in a good place having been a player to become the head coach and that was both the best and worst experiences of my life because I took a Great Britain team to a student games and managed to comfortably win every lose every game Um, yet we had a great time great camaraderie but the opposition were just too good and then it started to dawn on me that actually being a good coach is not just about winning it must be about other things but I had to think that because I'd lost every game 
and I was trying to justify myself. Am I really that bad a coach? So um, assistant coach, head coach, uh, and then around that time, because of my psychology background, I'd started to work with the governing body in terms of introducing psychology formally into um, coach education, whether that be as part of awards or uh, subsidiary courses. Um, went on uh, to sort of manage non-league in Wales, went into uh, winning domestically championships year after year with a very successful team. Um, in Europe then for five or six years, Champions League and I suppose the pinnacle of coaching career was playing uh, Liverpool at Anfield in the qualifying round to Champions League. Um, and again, just being careful not to be too embarrassed as a coach to make sure that we were organised and did the well as we could. So in terms of coaching history, um, varied, non-league, British students, um, and then fortunately when I went to the FA full-time, um, I was also appointed as assistant coach to various age group teams in my tenure there. So as assistant to the under-15s, under-16s, under-17s, under-18s, under-19s, under-20s at various stages in the career. And again, fortunate about learning with uh, some of the top coaches, learning from some of the top players in terms of what did they need. And so my, my, my coaching has been very sheltered in some senses in that I've never really taught children and I've only really taught adults in a professional setting who were already quite competent, um, but fascinated about how to get the best out of individuals and merge them as a team and team development. I want to pick up on something that you said at the beginning there, Andy, where you said you, you didn't know that you wanted to be a coach. Was there a moment when that realisation came true? Um, no one moment, but I think during my time at Loughborough, when I talked about that culture, you're surrounded by um, really competent athletes, top-class Olympians. And once you start to see what being an elite athlete means on a daily basis, it started me to think, well, what do they need as, as athletes to be better? And I saw then a whole range of different sports treating those elite athletes in different ways that was very successful and I always then had the question how would that translate into football um, some of my friends were, were Olympians uh, both in team sports and individual sports some had minimal contact with a coach but that was what they needed some had masses of masses of contact with their coach because that's what they needed so all of a sudden individual difference started to jump out at me and then how do you cope with individual difference in a team sport like football or indeed hockey um, on a daily basis where actually all the individuals need something different that suits them? How was a coach meant to know that? I related back to my governing body stuff at the time across all of the sports. None of the formal coach education courses had told me about that. So it was a matter of they were teaching me about the, the game, the tactics, the technique, which was great because I needed, I needed that information. But by watching performers and watching the coaches in that Loughborough environment where it was a multi-sport environment, I realised that successful and effective coaching could look many, many different things. So it was around that period. So by the time I left with my doctorate, with my uh, then A licence, uh, and fortunately went into work at Sheffield United, I was just fascinated then by how did good coaches interact and affect good players. And picking up on something else that you said 
initially i think it was you mentioned you were being coached um by a number of different coaches and some of them were ngb level coaches and some of them were local level coaches um you mentioned there were there was a difference one one group were you i think you said they were great coaches as compared to good coaches what would be some of the things that made those great coaches stand out when you were coming through as a player again you uh, i think all coaches are shaped by the environments through which they've been in so these comments are in the context of i've been at loughborough doing a p in sports science degree got into my coaching and was inquisitive and wanted always to know why why are we doing something why are we doing that practice why are we playing like this therefore for me great coaches were those coaches who could articulate that explain that and justify well we're doing this because so some of the great coaches i talked about then were um uh, les reed um who went on to the fa and now at southampton um and ted powell uh, who's unfortunately uh, now passed away but they were fantastic educationalists they were teacher trained they'd done a lot of teaching they understood children they understood adults their arts of communication uh, were first class and there was a respect because they were trying to help you and from the very earliest days you felt they're in this for the athletes some other coaches that i had been with were genuinely there to win they were honest people trying their hardest but what was important to them was winning a game because their job depended on it but they were less interested in you as an individual so it's that um, subtlety of what was driving those different people as coaches what was their background what were their motivations for me some of the great coaches were those who cared about people could justify what they were doing uh, in an intelligent way you mentioned i think you said wonder and curiosity and i always look out for the players that that i work with you know certainly the, the kids that i'm fortunate enough to coach i love the the curiosity that they have and they want to know why that we're doing um what we're doing and i know some coaches might take offense to that well why why am i being questioned but actually i see that as a real strength in a player and and also a real strength in a coach if they're if they're curious about what's possible um and why and and, and that, like you say having that justification for doing why they're what they're doing i want to shift on a little bit don and, and bring you in here we're going to get into the kind of bulk of of what this um episode is about which is around philosophy of or coaching philosophy so what do you make of the term coaching philosophy i think uh it's a term we've used for quite a long time and i think what it was originally intended to capture was a if you like something about a rationale something where coaches were encouraged to think well what do i believe uh what are perhaps some of my core values and and why do i do practically or you know why do i coach in the way that i do and i think that was when the term was originally coined i think that's what it was intended to do and i think probably for uh most of most of its life and usage that's what most people meant essentially a, a general values beliefs foundation of of why we do what we do uh, and uh, there's been some recent discussion um, about whether this is a you know a good term because I guess those things are not really philosophy in the in an academic sense they're not philosophy um, but uh, I don't know to be honest I don't care actually I think you know, the heart of it was right it was just thinking about why do people 
do that what they do and to think deeply about that and to think that that's important don i think when i was young younger 21 22 and first coaching i never thought about a coaching philosophy i have to say i i was just still wrapped up with trying to understand the game or the games of different sports so this almost higher level beliefs and values i wasn't i wasn't ready for that at 21 22 23 in fact that didn't kick on to me till much much later so the term philosophy might have scared me as an early coach however once i became a bit more experienced i just think you have something to you need something to be consistent from now whether i would use the word philosophy um i probably prefer those beliefs values um things that you respect and value and trust i think those are easier concepts for coaches to understand i don't know what your view is yeah no i i would simply boil it down why do you do what you do and i'm not actually sure we need to you go too much further than that you can elaborate a little bit if you like but that's the heart of it just to to challenge people i think perhaps i was a little bit different from you andy in that i was um right from the outset really challenged to to think about that question why do we do this in a particular way and i might not have used the term philosophy but i would have certainly used that uh the same kind of processes to to think about it essentially why do i want to do this what's the foundation of it what's what's my what's my real core heart for why i'm doing it like this and um and i could think perhaps you know a couple of things that really impacted me there from uh say quite a young age as uh somebody learning i can remember being a a middle school pupil turning up to hockey practice um in the middle of rural suffolk uh where there were no great facilities it was just you know a rather bumpy grass pitch etc and i was the only one who turned up for practice that day uh and the teacher there was a, a lady named rebecca savage and she took me out and we did a one-on-one practice um and that stuck with me right at the instant thinking because i was expecting as i was sat in the change room on my own for practice to be cancelled and that's rubbish isn't it because i want to go and play hockey but she took me out anyway and that that stuck with me then thinking this is great individual commitment from you know a, a teacher to to a pupil to go and do that and then just another instance when i when i first walked through the door of um university day one i hadn't been to open day or anything like that i walked through the door um you know uh for the very first time and uh, a chap called mick moore who was my course leader uh, shook me by the hand and said hi you must be don i was like i, I had no idea who he knew. and he then went on to say uh how impressed he was with uh, my application and hadn't i done well in my a levels and he clearly knew what a levels i'd done and my profile and that i was a hockey player essentially without ever having met me or known me or anything other than my application before and those two instances just really drove home in me right from uh, quite an early coaching age how important it was to care about the individual and to know as much as you can about the individual and how impactful that can be if you really get that right and in an authentic way um, so little th- episodes like that influence my coaching practice right from the outset to say this is the kind of coach i want to be this is a core foundation belief value if you like know the individual care about the individual um, because it's the right thing to do but also because that's how you get genuine engagement and uh, enthusiasm from the people that you coach um 
15 or 16 years ago when I, when I first started on a pro license course we were asked to write down our coaching philosophy what was it how is it shaped and I found it a really difficult thing to do so I was then you know relatively experienced and relatively older and it then made me think and it made me think about two things it made me think about some of the coaches that were very educational in nature and it made me think of the coaches that were very winning in nature and my challenge was I thought I was both I had a genuine belief that I wanted to educate players uh, help them support them but I equally had a real competitive drive to win so when I was trying to write down what is my coaching philosophy I sometimes find myself shifting or merging or blending those two aspects which are often placed in a continuum but I'm not sure that that's the case I think you can be both you can be a real winning coach with a strong educational philosophy about developing people the problem for different sports is the timelines are so different so current professional football managers and coaches have to be successful quite quickly if you said what's your philosophy to those coaches they would say I've got I've got a real strong educational philosophy but if I don't win I haven't got a job tomorrow so the practical application of where does this beliefs values uh, understanding of yourself as a coach uh, depending on where you're coaching uh, can be very different I think it's very easy for a teacher who might be teaching every day and coaching as a hobby to have a genuine educational philosophy and it does not matter whether they win or lose and it's easy for that type of person coach to stick 100% to their personal values of education and support for them for other coaches who are in a business the delicacy becomes are they compromised is their philosophy compromised anywhere along the way because of how they are measured because of how their job impacts and why it made me think ultimately about this was for the first time in my life in the non-league setting in Wales uh, for the new Saints Total Network Solutions as it was we had to release players adults it was their job but for the good of the whole there was a certain time where some players had got older and we needed younger and you had to let them go for the benefit of the collective but with a philosophy of caring for an individual I didn't want to let anybody go but would I make my squad stronger if I let one older person go and recruited a younger person on less money? Yes. So you end up in a real difficult practical application of individual and collective beliefs and values of what's best for the collective or what's best for the individual. And think some sports and cultures have different pressures on the coach. I, I agree with that entirely. I would also encourage all coaches to think that what we're talking about here are uh, some principles and in some cases ideals but it I, I don't see any contradiction in for example saying I'm an educationalist I believe in the power of the individual but because my context is here I'm going to have to do some some other behaviors or I'm going to have to act in a slightly uh, act in this way I don't see those ne actually being contradictory in any way to say look I know this uh, over here model x is is the perfect idealistic um, utopian model of coaching um but also to think actually in the practical world the pragmatic world of real that actually there are some things we do that aren't utopian and i think that's absolutely fine 
and I think com- coaches should be really comfortable in that and I think sometimes you do stuff just because it needs to be done um, and you might acknowledge it's not the perfect way to do it it's not an ideal learning environment but it's the best we can do in the time that we've got in the context that we've got in the environment that we're in and that's absolutely fine and I think as long as you're you're questioning yourself you're challenging yourself on that um, I don't see any problem in that yeah. at all frantically scribbling away here you've sent me down the rabbit hole and Andy I definitely saw that competitive drive come out on you in the golf course yesterday I just want to pick up on a few things so principles is is an interesting word and it's something that we've been getting coaches who have been coming through our new pathway of courses at the FA thinking about and comparing the term principles with rules and I, I, it was interesting that you brought that up. And I find that if you're if you're comfortable with with principles being your guide, rather than rules that you must abide, so principles are almost um, your 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 soundboard. They're, they're 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 at your core, but they you're not hamstrung by them. Uh, so I, I, I think that's where you were going with that, Don. Is that, would that be correct? Yeah, I think if anything, hamstr- hamstrings you that you're in trouble, really, <laughs> and perhaps you're you haven't got it quite right because um, I think principle-led is a is is cur- a strong term for me at the moment. Think principle-led, um, and that means we know where we're trying to get to and we're trying to head, but sometimes we're not always going to be able to to get to the ideal. And in any leadership role, I think coaching is a leadership role you're sometimes going to have to make decisions which um, aren't utopian or perfect etc to release that player or to discipline a player for the good of the the club or the good of the rest of the team or actually to run a practice which is um, perhaps counter to your educational values because you do you've got to win the game on Tuesday night or actually the pitches, in my case, in, in hockey, the pitch is going to freeze in the next half an hour. We've got to get through this stuff as quickly as possible. We've got to keep people just moving because they'll get fed up if we stop them and ask loads of questions, etc. We've just got to plough on through it, get through it, um, because it's the best we've got in the circumstances. So, um, and I, But I think you can do those things consistently within um, the notion of being principle-led. Absolutely. And that, that term you use, consistency... That's something that I recognise when I speak to certainly young players who are developing as people as well, is that they really appreciate that consistency of behaviour and routine from from the coach, from the effective coaches. And they, um, so they know where they stand. There's no uh, surprises in behaviour that they, um, they feel safe and secure and and loved to an extent and I get that feeling from from speaking to young players who work with effective um, certainly grassroots coaches that I I work with yeah and I think if I've the one thing I've learned from watching coaches who I think are really good they are the ones who appear really unflustered really unstressed about stuff because they're in control of that environment even if things don't go perfectly they're quite comfortable with that and that that is the foundation that enables them to be consistent with people because uh, they feel you know in control they've, they've got a handle on it all and they know uh, they know how to manage 
or just to be comfortable with things going perhaps slightly awry or not or people not getting out of the, out of it what they thought they were going to they're quite comfortable with that and it enables them to be consistent with people uh and it, the flip side of that is you know getting really stressed about something because it's not quite going right and then you start maybe you start snapping at people or you start um you know being less consistent with uh, with people so um yeah that's just a, a little thing i think that's important we did some filming last year for some resources for the new courses that we launched in august and i got to interview many groups of of players from under sevens right the way through to under 21s male female different backgrounds and one of the questions that we asked them is what what do you think makes a good coach and one of the um, most common answers that we got back from the kids was they don't stress out it was really interesting that you know you've, you've brought that up and it's exactly the same as what what the kids are saying um just drawing a couple of your both points together um the john wooden pyramid of success type framework is often used by uh, lots of governing bodies and lots of coaches to help make sense of what do you value and what are your building blocks as a coach and so on um and i think it gives you a really easy pictorial framework to start from i think some of the things you've both been talking about then about well what do the athletes need and want and how do you then as a coach perform on a daily basis the reality is it's much more permeable you, some of those uh, solid hard building blocks you're happy to, to to loosen off on selected occasions so if your team has agreed that these are the team rules and this is what we'll abide by and here's a code of conduct and this is what we all buy into and we want but then a player steps out of line sometimes it will depend how important is that player to them as to how you the coach are meant to deal with that so for example if it's your weakest player in the group that is causing problems for the group and they don't like him and he steps out of line actually the group are expecting you the coach to deal with that as per the code of conduct as per the guidelines and either get rid of the player or sanction him in some way or leave him out of the team and so on if however it's your best player that steps out of line are you the coach meant to react in the same way hmm possibly not because actually the expectations of the players are now very very different they realize if this best player doesn't play and they don't win this game they they effectively have less money their careers um, are impeded their consequences of the coach's actions have a bigger uh, bearing so actually their view on the philosophy and these rules and conducts on selected occasions they might be quite happy for you to bend the rules and i've got a couple of lovely lovely examples where actually you've got to listen to the players to gauge what is the coach's best response here what is expected versus what is best for everybody but are you the coach that says i don't care about all of that i've got these rules i'm going to lead like this and manage like this because this is what i stand for or do you go do you know what yes this player has broken the rules and the guidelines they have stepped over the line i don't agree with that but actually the bulk of the players want this player to play can i live with that 
in the context of this game being very very important for all of the players and all of the players want player x to play okay sometimes bending the rules might be seen as a strength by the coach or a weakness so it becomes quite um a complicated interplay between an individual player's perception of the rules and philosophy of the team the coach's management of those rules and philosophies oh by the way if we're more successful or less successful that shifts so this becomes a real dynamic uh, fluid uh, people have talked about coaching as complex I'm not sure it's complex but it's complicated uh, and it's fascinating and that's what draws coaches to want to deal with people it's, it's people-centered social-centered and I think you can have principles I think it can be principle-led but you have to be very very aware of in this instance today what is actually shaping my decision and what are the perceptions and values of all of the people who are going to be in this decision and the consequences of it you mentioned a couple of examples are you, are you able to share um i've had some um lovely lovely players who um have done things that they wouldn't necessarily be proud of um you know they have uh, uh, stepped beyond the lines of borders of of legal um and poor behavior outside of the football pitch um on the football pitch they've been excellent leaders um and first class examples of what you'd want as a performer uh, not so off the pitch so there are many examples of this um player behavior off the field being one thing and on the field being something different and the challenge to a coach is well how do you manage those people um uh, very very effectively in the setting so can i share things probably not without giving away um uh, the, the instances of, of of individuals but principles we could share about um there are many instances in different sports even of how when when do you ban a player whether that's because they've had issues with drugs with alcohol with prison when do they have the right to re-engage with the sport when do you as the coach have the right to re-engage them as a sport answer it depends and it's the severity it's the age it's the consequence but back to this bit about um people seem to be a bit more forgiving of a better player than a poorer player so if you're genuinely being consistent as a coach uh, it should be i'm making decisions right for everybody and I'd, I'd treat them all in the same way and i have to say i'm not sure i always have i think um, i'd share the stories i can share examples of me making probably inconsistent decisions because it suited both me as a coach this feels right to do this but it felt right to do something different for a different player at a different time so I think just individual different decisions at different times i can't share anything more than that that's okay i want to rewind slightly and don you you spoke about those two examples of how a coach made you feel and it, a lot of the conversation we've talked about here has revolved around that human element that feeling going through my own youth football journey we had a coach i use the term coach he was our leader if you like our manager uh, around about 14 to 17 years old turbulent time in my own life guy called paul grounds he was like a, a second dad i wouldn't say if you asked him what his coaching philosophy was he would have one in fact his his football technical knowledge was 
limited to an extent. But what he did and the way that he he treated us as well, we were effectively teenagers, but he treated us as as young adults with respect. I can't ever remember a time when he, he raised his voice in all the time that he worked with us, but we fought so hard for him and he was like a father figure to us all. He was fantastic and it was that it was more that feeling that he gave us rather than anything um, special or any one event that he particularly did. It was that consistency and that, that feeling that, that he brought within us that, that made us play so hard for him. Um, so it was interesting to, to hear your point there. What benefit would a coach get from having some clarity on their own coaching philosophy? So out there listening into this podcast now, we've got um, hundreds, if not thousands of coaches who probably range from grassroots, under sevens, right their way up to elite uh, male and female. What benefit would a, would a coach get from starting to think about their own coaching philosophy, if not, if they haven't done already? I think any opportunity to ask that fundamental question, why am I doing it like this? Why am I, uh, why have I designed the practice in this way? Uh, and how could it be better? Um, if that's a, a genuine question and a deep question where people are, are really seeking how to improve that any of those mechanisms is a good thing and one way of doing that is to look at your your foundational beliefs so if one of my foundational beliefs is on the individual uh, and on um, trying to bes uh, trying to design a, a really bespoke journey for each individual that says you know if I've got uh, 30 uh, girls coming to uh, you know a training day for example that means according to my philosophy anyway that each of those individuals should understand something of what they're trying to do individually how they're trying to develop individually that uh, puts pressure on me to design things in a way that's going to benefit those individuals and to uh, hopefully provide some information or some feedback or some mechanisms to to gain feedback anyway which they can uh, they can have individual takeaways from knowing also that actually you know they're part of a collective um, and sometimes this is one of my failings as a coach perhaps uh, I design some really great activities that are uh, brilliant for the group they work well they're engaging etc but I forget about the individual in that sometimes because it's difficult to think about 30 individuals in a group when we're trying to you know manage everybody at the same time so uh, examine it just keep going back to that philosophical belief that or that you know that core value of the individual at the center really helps me to to challenge my my everyday my everyday practice design where the question of what is your coaching philosophy or why is it or how did it get formed I think why those questions are simple and useful to a young coach and an experienced coach are it gives you the basis of reflection. So at any moment in time, you say, in the last week, in the last six months, how consistent have you been, coach, Andy, to your behaviours, to your values? How consistent have you been? And when you actually start there, you start looking at yourself. So part of this evolution of a philosophy or the continual growth of a philosophy enables you to keep close to well, what's important to you as a coach so if you keep asking yourself this question you know not every day but regularly i think it gives you a sense check as to 
am I being true to myself? Am I being, being authentic? Am I still in coaching because of what I value? And by keep asking yourself those questions, I think it's motivating. It's, yes, that's what I'm in it for. That's why I'm doing coaching. It brings me back to individual uh, development. It brings me back to team success, team building. And I feel I'm adding value um, to a group. So I think most coaches... Uh, especially the groups I currently work with are great developers of people they, they genuinely want to help people and if they can win as well that's fantastic but at heart if you're not developing the individuals and they don't believe in you and trust you um, so this relationship element of what is a coach so very much the social uh, what's going to help the bonding between coach and athlete and get this better all of that gets linked back to what do you value? Because if you can't articulate what's important to you as a coach, your players don't understand you. So whether I would have uh, packaged it as what is coaching philosophy or whether I package it as um, what's important to you as a coach and what do you want your performers to understand about you as a coach so that they can understand your consistency, um, that helps. Remembering it might be different with every group that you then start to engage with because you'll engage with them at different times for different reasons uh, and for different elements of what is success. Success will look different for the under sevens coach, the under nines coach, the professional coach who's in a, in, in a development setting where they are in a talent pathway and they're meant to develop players for a first team or indeed a first team coach. But all of those coaches can use the question Am I being authentic? Am I being true to my beliefs and values? And I think that's why the question is important. Thanks, Andy. You remind me of a time when I actually started to formalise my own coaching philosophy. Because beforehand, I don't know if I was really coaching. I was just pulling off sessions from the internet and, and putting them on without any real thought to, uh, to why I was doing what I was doing or why I was behaving as I was. And I came across a blog by a guy called John Kessler. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He is the head of US volleyball development, I think still to this day. I think, and this was about 2009, I believe. I was working with Everton girls in their uh, center of excellence. I was living on my own in Liverpool. I had a lot of thinking and reading time. And I came across this blog and his blog challenged coaches to sum up their values their coaching philosophy if you like with in three words so put a little restricting constraint on and it, it really got me thinking and i thought about this for what feels like now months and uh, it really challenged me to to narrow down to myself what was important so funnily enough they all began with the letter p so people first i was working with the, yes they were players but i had to view them as as people first and complex individuals, all unique in their own way. Patience was a value, I think, that was most important to me. I was working with young players who were learning, developing at their own rates. It wasn't linear, it wasn't straightforward. There were good days, bad days. So I had to make sure that my, my core behavior was one that demonstrated patience. And process, to remind me that, that of the process of learning that we are um, we are helping these young people to learn the game and that really um, helped me to narrow down my and start the ball rolling with my own thoughts around 
coaching philosophy. I don't know if there was a particular moment or an event or a period of time in your own coaching journey where you started to have these questions and, and whether there was a process that you went through to almost formalise your own views on your values, beliefs. I'll let Don think about that <laughs> difficult question for a second. As you were speaking then, just something jumped into my head. <coughs> I have equally come across some great coaches who could not answer that question. They would not be able to articulate their beliefs and values in a spoken word or want to be constrained by it. But when you saw their behaviours in a day-in, day-out basis and their interaction with their players and teams, individuals, they role model first-class behaviour and first-class coaching. But if you ask them, what is your belief? What is your value? Some would struggle to say. So I was introducing that as a... Some of the best coaches I've seen on the field of coaching and teaching and leading and helping players understand don't over-intellectualise this process. They're just good deliverers of information. Very, very clear. And that's it. Because you started the conversation by saying, oh, I thought I was a coach and I was pulling some sessions off and just delivering a session. But that is coaching. That is coaching, as well as all of these other things. And in terms of um, the performance end of a player being better after a session uh, or after a period of time, some coaches are better at that than others. Some coaches are better if you have a group of players for a short space of time, take them from A to B quickly. Some play coaches are very good at that. They're not actually very good with relationships over a longer period of time. So all of a sudden you're drawing up a model here of different types of coaches who can be very, very good at different types of aspects of the coaching process. All of it is important but very rarely do you get all of that ideal picture. If you think in your particular sport of five successful coaches, they're probably successful for slightly different reasons and with slightly different groups. So they may all have a philosophy, it may look different, but they might not always be able to articulate it. You said it took you months, maybe years, to be able to come up with the three Ps. I'm not sure I can still come up with three Ps now, and I've been thinking and doing this 30, 35 years. It's good to ask the question. You might not always be able to give the answer, but it, it, it starts the reflective process. It starts you to question what's important. Um, so sometimes the process of asking it and thinking about it is as important as to getting a defined answer. I think it's quite a... It's still quite a contemporary focus, this idea of values, beliefs, philosophy, etc. Perhaps, you know, the, the term culture has been particularly rampant the last five, six years or so, etc. Um, and I think coaches are often a product of their environments. And for many years, this, this term wouldn't have been something that was, you know, core to... Uh, many sports or coach education environments it kind of is now so Andy and I recently spent some time investigating a program of development for junior international coaches across a whole number of sports this kind of stuff was fundamental to everything they had done for several years so when we asked them about their philosophy they had a very slick response because they'd been thinking about it and challenged to think about it for for quite some time and could uh, make those connections between uh, values, beliefs, philosophy, whatever you call it, and their practice. Um, but uh, yeah, that's not always that, that common. And 
you know it's something that we're we think is of value but it's it's hardly a marker of there's no great evidence out there to say those with the most refined philosophy for example are the best practitioners i'm not aware of any evidence of uh, of that and, and this whole discussion takes us into a really interesting debate about okay so now even if you have got a clear idea of your philosophy we're now working as a teaching team a coaching team of three so don has his philosophy you jack have yours and i have mine uh three strong individuals strong beliefs about what's right what's wrong how to do things but this might not be similar but now all of a sudden we have to work with one another on a daily basis deal with any issues that come up with our collective team and be comfortable with our collective um response be comfortable with compromise so i have worked with some lovely lovely people i've worked as an assistant and i've worked as a head coach that relationship and interaction between different coaches when faced with different issues is just fascinating and there comes uh, the potential for conflict it's when uh, all three of you are in line and align with your values and beliefs it is easy how to deal with an issue however when an issue happens and there is uh, disagreement or it it's, uh, sits outside um, one of your belief systems for one of you then it starts to become uncomfortable if it's an isolated incident it's okay you move on to the following day and so forth but if consistently one of the three of us now supports a certain behavior or acts in a certain way but the other two don't believe in that how do we now resolve our because we now have a conflict it's that elephant in the dressing room i'm looking at you coaching going i don't believe in what you're saying there me and don are looking at one another going we both know but your head coach what do we do about this Mm. if we raise it are you upset if we raise it do you sack us uh, if i raise it should i just say look i'm in the wrong and i walk away so somewhere down this line there's this uh, issue of one you've got to know yourself and, and why you do things the way you do and then i think as you go into coaching in a range of different domains you're coaching with others and with other coaches and teams of coaches so you as a team of coaches have to agree to disagree sometimes and there'll always be a um a corridor of yeah i'm okay i'm comfortable within this i can tolerate that but then there'll be a, a point at which you go no i will not prepare to tolerate that so in the past i've had to release coaches or i've had to walk away from instances if my personal beliefs and value systems have been compromised too much and that's okay because the other person wouldn't even recognize that this is an issue and everybody has their different systems what's important is those different groups of coaches can work together ideally to resolve the conflict but if you can't resolve the conflict we'll move on keep coaching in a different domain and, and but the knock-on effect here is of course you start to recruit players that you feel comfortable working with because they fit into your values or belief systems okay that's okay if you've been at one club and consistently that's what you recruit everybody knows don's club as honest trustworthy hard-working fun that's the sort of player that don will recruit into his system and he's got a happy ship but then don decides to leave his club and go to club y uh, across the city don inherits a different um group so now as a coach you've got a different issue you may have beliefs values all nicely established of what you want but actually i've shifted culture i've shifted from what i've built and had to something that's completely different my job now is to change culture 
so I've got to start again I've got to get those building blocks in place again with the new group now that might mean changing individuals beliefs as opposed to recruiting new ones so there's a, there's a different skill set now one recruiting the type of person that you want to work with keeps everything going and growing and it's easy for successful teams to keep being successful because they're building what they've already got long-term development everything's established everything's clear everything works but there are equally then some coaches who are very very good at short-term change making a big impact with a different group in the short term and almost change management and then again that's a different set of skills so you might be very good at long-term evolution of a culture growing developing people or you might be very good as a firefighter i'm going into club x situation x and i'll manage it for three months and then i'll walk out and i'll have effected change for the group so all of a sudden coaching is uh, different in different context settings and so forth i think I'll, i'm going to take this slightly differently but building on on the the essence of what andy was talking about there in terms of how to perhaps view others who maybe have slightly different beliefs from you or, or may act in slightly different ways and i just remember uh, a really important instance in in my life that really challenged me uh, on this front because already for years i'd been that coach who said the individual is really important and in doing that educationally my perspective was well if we want to understand how people learn then we have to understand their background perspective their culture their environment etc uh, and all of those things are really important and the for one of getting for want of getting a bit academic about this apologies my epistemology or my foundational belief of how people learn has been for years that people uh, that there are many different truths if you like there are many different things that are correct each individual has their own value system that is true to them and they will work things out as as they best see fit most people will have a um you know a, a good mindset to try and grow and develop in the in the way that they best see fits in their route but our systems commonly in coaching pitch that quite differently so for example in my um for years as a university tutor we have we we educate novice coaches those are right at the beginning of their careers um which is a really exciting stage but often when we perhaps uh will observe uh, our students at 18 19 20 years old delivering a a coaching session that they're exploring often a question that they will come with they'll come over and we'll give them some feedback their first question will be was that right you think and in your heart you want to say well what a ridiculous question you say was that coaching session right mm -hmm. but in a way our systems have prepared us for that and our sporting culture prepares us to think about it in that way as well that almost there is a right way to do it our coach education systems in across the sports for years has sort of said if you do it this way you will pass for example or you will get through or if you uh, replicate this practice then you will be the next level or you will be a better coach if you do it like person x etc um, and i think actually that's fundamentally unhelpful in trying to learn about uh, sort of educationally informed processes and programs so this really hit me when i first came to the realization that actually for all of my really in-depth scrutiny thinking investigation into uh loads of different um uh 
perspectives educationally from a research background he said I, c- I can bring all of that together i can try and sift what i think is good right good quality not good quality what have we got evidence for what have we not got i can think about that and i've been thinking about that for nearly 20 years now um and i've got to some positions which um i'm some of which i'm quite f- quite firm about and i really believe in some of which i'm still developing but actually that uh, that's quite a i would say m- mature um developmental point to be got a lot of years now thinking about investigating this stuff and i think right so i this is where i'm at i'm i'm here but three feet away is andy who has gone through a similar process and has got to us a bit a bit of a different perspective we don't think exactly the same way in fact we would place emphasis and believe in slightly different things um and where i've got to get you then as a coach as an educator is to say great how arrogant would it be of me to think that i'm right and andy is wrong or that anybody else is wrong that you're wrong jack or etc and what a ridiculous thing to think in the same way that that student who comes and says was my coaching session right to be able to uh, for me to be able to say well somebody else is wrong in the way that they they operate i think the beauty of coaching at all levels all ages um all domains is there is no one correct way to coach so i talked in the past about if you had conflict with a with a coach but actually conflict's okay because actually from where that coach is there's no conflict and actually with a different group of players that coach is first class for that different group of players so in the world of sport the different sports in the world of football think about all of the different types of backgrounds of where players come from and where coaches come from and and how these people come together to perform there is no one best way you can overthink it make it very very complicated or actually sometimes if you go naturalistic you just go with it you just go what you think is right and some of the best coaches are so simple and so effective that they would question andy why are you intellectualizing this to the level that you are coaching's coaching just make them better well what does that look like and then you come into a whole sequence of things about what makes individual better and what does better mean well actually at different ages and different levels better can be real subtleties of uh nothing to do with cooperating with somebody and being more confident and being actually the subtleties might be at an elite level getting the timing of a block right to get somebody else free to score a goal Ah, but blocking and that's that's against the rules of the game isn't it not if it's about winning so all of a sudden you're into what do you accept what's acceptable for you as a coach on the pitch what are you prepared to accept in order to win but there's also the culture then of the profession what's going on to win and what's allowed what are the rules or interpretations of the rules i had some lovely colleagues in spain italy at an international tournament and in genuine uh, conversations after the game we're saying i hope you don't mind me asking but why do you allow your kids to cheat and they were offended they said what do you mean our kids our kids don't cheat i said there's some diving there's rolling around you're time wasting you're you're just it's not the heart of the game we're trying to teach these young people some values and they'd said well so are we that's what the game is we're teaching them how to win a game legitimately the referee decides is a foul a foul or what is and what isn't our our kids are just doing what they see they're copying behaviors of uh what 
elite players are doing and if they think getting a free kick is success and if a defender has been silly enough to try and lunge into a tackle made no contact it's okay for my player to dive over that to get a free kick because actually they've interfered with the flow of that attack that's okay and these were genuine intelligent well-spoken good coach you've a good philosophy but what's allowed or what their perception of what fair play was and what their kids can do was completely different because of the culture in which they were in and their value of what they were trying to produce so things are just different uh, around the cultures and in different sports about what's acceptable and and to what degree you're trying to do things i've just got another example really of the starkness of that cultural importance so two little bits uh, so i mentioned i was i've been involved with the uh, the under 16s national stuff for our, our hockey girls team um and we play in uh, just european stuff all of whom really see things largely in the same way developmentally from a from a, from a country's perspective so uh, when i first joined the system uh, some of the other coaches in the program were talking about um a six nations championship that they had gone to in germany couple of years before um and it's the sort of the big end of season it's the main thing we head to and they said oh it was brilliant and they really got it because um there were no scoreboards or tables etc all of the nations they weren't bothered who won it was just a de- developmental tool even at international under 16 level i went great brilliant how uh, that's the way it should be shouldn't it nobody's nobody cares if spain under 16 beat germany 3-2 or whatever nobody cares it's about development surely and then i spent the back half of the summer writing some resources for some uh some very different nations um and i remember talking to one uh cricket coach from pakistan who said uh who said i absolutely understand where you're coming from that my under 12s cricket team should absolutely be absolutely be about development uh, and there should be no focus on winning at all but he said culturally every game that i lose brings shame and dishonor on my family so I, I, it's completely unacceptable in that culture for me to say it's developmental, it's development first, mm. because it's it's really, really important for this community to be seen that our under twelve cricket team beat the next village along, etc., to win. Um, and it really took me back because for years I'd kind of almost written that off as even a potential point of importance. You know, surely junior sport all about development. Well, in some contexts you know that is a really challenging narrative it's just not true actually and they might recognize it's not perfect but you know that's the way the world is in in some places and if you broaden we're talking you know in this uh, talk today about to all coaches but if you then broaden that outside of the uk and look at coaches in uh, underdeveloped countries uh, countries where the games whether that's football hockey tennis are growing in different ways the role of a coach and what a coach does can be many different things so a good coach in uh, nigeria where i used to live where there are no resources there are minimal uh, pitches uh, maybe not many footballs what a good coach looks like there even at elite level may be very different to what an elite coach in an academy system in this country looks like so there are principles there are generalities there are cultures there are global differences between what a coach is um i think going right back to the beginning you asked about how does philosophy 
and the question of what does philosophy to a coach mean, it just may allows them to look at themselves about where are they now as a coach. Mm. And there is no right thing to do. There is no one way of learning. It's, okay, this is where I'm at, and what do, why am I still enjoying it? What do I want to do? How can I help others? How can I win a game? All of those questions are perfectly legitimate, and all coaches will have different questions that are important at different times. It's not for anybody else to say, that's not an important question, because it is to them at that moment in time. Yeah, it's interesting that you both talked about how important that the language is in, in defining the culture. And uh, I want to move on and, and probe some more about your under-16s experiences, Don. Uh, but you've you've just reminded me of a, a couple of experiences from my own coaching. So 12 months ago, when I was looking after our, the under-12s, team in our club we had we have two under 12 teams the other one was on the verge of folding unfortunately the the coach of that team had to um step away so i didn't want those boys to to drop out of the game of football because since adding another p to my own beliefs the context in which i work preservation is really important to me so preserving these young people in the game for as long as they possibly can is really important i remember saying to a, a, a group of under seven's parents a few years ago when I took that team that before their first ever match these boys are six success for us may well be if they're still playing when they're 66 so let's remember that as we go through this together this season so we 12 months ago we merged the, the two teams and um, the team that I'd been familiar with for or worked with for the last few years our culture of, of practice if you like which we tried to shape from within by asking the boys regularly what style, what type of team, how do we want to play and how can we as coaches help you to play that way? They very much wanted to be a team who, who played attractive football, whatever that may be, and, and kept the ball and were able to express themselves. So we, we kind of had this uh, expectation that we wouldn't kick the ball out of play which a lot of coaches will, will resonate with that children in, the, in this country were, are often praised and applauded and rewarded for kicking the ball out of play. So we, we decided to try and get rid of that and remove that from our play. Simple practices like uh, if a player would do that in training, then we would give a free kick to the other team. And this, this became regular and, and it almost eradicated that behaviour and we allowed it in certain circumstances and, and on a match day they were free to make that decision. But when the other group joined and we merged the two teams, these boys had come from a culture, if you like, a team environment where that was actually allowed and in often times encouraged. So we almost had to rewire some of the boys to to think differently about the way that they play and, and have them understand that it's it's okay to bring the ball down under pressure and you might give it away and we might give a goal away but that's all right we won't we won't get angry with you if you try and, and your your teammates will understand that you're trying to keep the ball for the right reasons for our team so that kind of language and behaviors and it, the way it defines culture i think's um i think's really important you mentioned andy about the best coaches are able to simplify and we're going to get him on in a, in a few episodes but a colleague of mine from the FA Ben Bartlett who I, I know you know he's had a profound effect on my own and I'm, I know other colleagues of mine way of thinking with challenging our use of language so good bad right wrong unlucky those sorts of words, what, what what do they actually mean? And I know, Don, you picked up on that before, and it certainly made me think 
about the, the type of language that I use and it, I find that it, it impacts on my own behaviours for me uh, what I would deem a, a positive way Don I want to uh, move on and get some of your experience with your 16s we recently had a staff conference and Alex Danson came in and I have never seen a thousand people in a futsal arena uh, so encapsulated by one person and her story what was really profound to me was the the team ethic that had been created with within GB hockey and she really stole the show it was incredible to listen to very inspiring I wonder if you'd be able to share any insights of maybe how you start that process off uh, with your own under 16s given that most of your players I'm gathering live all corners of the country how do you start to develop that environment with you and your own team well, our first step was to invite Alex in to talk to them um, and to, uh, and it was literally, she, she did come in and she talked to the group. Um, and I think what is core to Alex's message, but also um, core to our contemporary way of thinking about culture, is to, uh, is to be very uh, athlete-centred and athlete-empowered in the way that we, that we set those cultures. So... Um, in the GB hockey team, as, as, as to as far as I'm aware, a lot of those uh, behaviours and codes, or the culture, etc., was set by the group and by the team. And you know, and they came up with several um, trademark statements, if you like, that would encapsulate their journey. So um, I'm sure that Alex would have talked to you about sort of inspiring a generation, essentially, as being something that was really important to the group, uh, and that was a way in which they tried to place their journey as being of greater importance than just their own journey to a to a gold medal but it was about trying to impact the broader world of the sport essentially and to grow the sport they also had things like um they put a specific number down as the number of people in the squad who would contribute to that journey not just the 18 but essentially recognizing that it would take a much bigger squad and group of people some of who wouldn't get a medal some of who wouldn't even go to the olympics or would miss out etc uh, and trying to recognise that they were equally as important um, in the in that journey, and then one of the other things that stood out for us was um, how much importance they placed on, if you like, flattening the hierarchies in the group. So Andy talked to earlier about uh, valuing the more important or the better players in the group, and I think that team worked really hard at flattening those hierarchies. So, you know, the captain uh, Kate Richardson Walsh and the leader, I think, was really determined that um, the weakest player in that centralised programme would be um, you know, as valuable or as, as, as far as you can ever do that to the group as possible. And so what we tried to do with the, uh, the under-16s is give the girls the, if you like, the, the right, the control to develop those key phrases, trademarks, whatever you want to call them, and those key behaviours that would be, um, if you like, illustrative of the group and they would take the responsibility to develop them and to, to police them to a certain extent. So uh, so Alex came to talk to them. They turned around. The first thing they said was, well, I think we, we're going to come up with this little new model. Say, what would Alex do uh, as a way of challenging each other to say, um, how would they approach particular um, elements of the programme or perhaps even when they're away from camp to think in that way because one of the stories that Alex gave was her being an under 16 
um, international and she said uh, that uh, she said she wasn't very good technically uh, and that when she joined the program uh, they they did a, a bleep test and that she'd she got an average score wasn't very good and she recognized that what she needed to do was to be super fit because that was something that she could be outstanding at and she said she went away and she went home and she said dad I want you to go to running with me every day and apparently her dad said to her I'll go running with you but you're gonna have to get me up to go I'm not going to get you up um, and she did and she got him up every day they went running and when she came back to uh, the, that test that program slightly later she had improved exponentially in her development and that little stories like that really impacted the group to say um, we're inspired by this person we're going to try and use her inspirational quality as a as a as a what would Alex do type mnemonic to say how could we approach our, our everyday way of being um, but in, in all sorts of other things as well from from small things uh, about uh, turning up to meetings with your water bottle and your pen and paper appropriately clothed on time all those kind of little things through to the bigger things of of playing style and being together as a group so they decided that um, whenever they were going to a practice or ever they would have a meeting point and they would walk to the pitch or walk to the changing room together and as a group rather than drip feed into it because they wanted to be together as a team all of the time um, and so little things like that we said in this program they they designed that they wrote that down and they we just give them the opportunity uh, every now and again to come back to that essentially and just just do a collective check if you like but but and this um aspect of celebrating difference um, sometimes we can end up talking about coaching stories the power of an individual how team x did it therefore coaches go well i've got to do that then in order to be successful i think you can definitely if you can understand the principles of what the coach has been trying to do and the principles of what the players are brought into that's first and foremost for a young coach or an experienced coach the most important thing because when you then come to apply those principles in your own context actually this looks very different so the example um i would consider i've had two very con uh, successful seasons with two different teams uh, the first success is winning the league getting into europe champions league success that's what success looks like for that group switching to another group success is late formed inherited players keep this team in a division now actually my principles are the same but i have to operate those principles in two different contexts in completely different ways the players w could not would not take ownership in the second example very quickly they want to be told they have got no starting point about well we're not sure what you want here so there's an element of now of the coach now leading his or her principles i want this to happen because x y and z and over time we might get to a more player-led team group cohesiveness where it manages itself but very rarely do coaches have the same situation so the principles i think for coaches to understand where they're at is where am i with this group of people at this moment in time and what exactly am i trying to do in the next week in the next month in the next three months and then we'll review how he or she or the group decide to do that d depends on the group 
I've had very, very intelligent players being able to articulate why we did a training session. So we debrief a training session. We've just done this. I'm just checking. What is it you saw us do? We played five aside, said one player. Correct observation. We did. Accurate. In terms of analysis, understanding the deeper things that we were trying to get, nothing had done in for that particular player. Coach's fault. Ask a different player, they would say, uh, no, we did a drill, it looked like five-a-side, but actually you were shaping that game around individual X, you were asking them to be a holding shape, always play behind the ball, very, very simple, very, very effective, and you were giving that player some practice at doing that. Correct. So two different players within the group perceived a, different, a training session in completely different ways. You, the coach, did have a particular aim in mind, but actually you had an aim in mind for individual A, one outcome. For the group, you had a different outcome, but actually what they, what they took from it was many different things. So I suppose it's, again, to try and simplify, um, yes, we're about individual development, we're about team development and culture and growth, but we've also got to celebrate difference and the fact that some people may not get what you're trying to do quickly. They might get it over time. And bless my old captain, fantastic bit of advice uh, about three months into a new job, new club. He said, Andy, I'm sure you know your football. I'm sure you're analysing, writing down a lot of notes. But please, 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 when you come in at half time, just give us, make it more simple. Do not overanalyse this game for us. We're in the middle of a game. Tell us what you want. Is that what you want? Yes. And that always stuck with me because I was going, well, ask the players what they think first. How did that first half go for you all? Was it all all right? Was it okay? What do you want to do better? What do you want to do? No, tell us. But that was that player, that team in that context. And at different stages, you get different things. How tempting, Don, is it within your own environment? It is an elite programme. How tempting is it to tell or to question or to guide or cajole what what's the thought process that runs through your head when you when you get these girls in camp and and how often do you see them and talk us through the process that that you go through so uh we only get these girls for uh, about 40 days a year including the sort of competition uh elements uh and that goes through different phases of the year so um we're currently in uh, the beginning of june and they are uh, probably currently right as we're speaking in exams mm. uh, and they are consumed at the moment in their mindset by their exam performance so we have a weekly contact with them at the moment just uh, just trying to keep them engaged to a certain extent um, and doing what we can to prepare in line for our sort of final three series which come up fairly quickly at the end of their exam period um, and then throughout the year we've had um, some day camps some two-day camps some three-day camps we've been uh, had a couple of international series um, against uh, some very high quality teams and some teams that are perhaps not quite as good as us um, in the sole aim of of this program is to try and uh, feed the next generation or the next level essentially so we are trying to provide or create an overflow of players who are capable of playing under 18s at the next level up we're just it's solely about development nobody 
say we don't care. It really doesn't matter whether we win all six games, five games at the Six Nations, or whether we lose all five games. It really doesn't matter. And the series results... So actually, in this environment, the, uh, the desire to tell, to instruct, to be dictatorial is virtually zero, it, because it's all about the development of the individual player and trying to... So we can be actually quite educationally... Um, uh, educationally <laughs> enlightens the wrong term. We can work to some pretty um, uh, altruistic principles, if you like, just trying to help them develop. So we uh, put them in lots of... What we're trying to do, I guess, is trying to create environments all the time which look as similar to junior international playing environments as possible and then to explore particular principles and ways of experimenting and playing um, through those environments as we can. So uh, those things are very scenario-led, they're very question-led, principle-led um, and it's very much about exploration of those things. We know that um, it would be impossible for this kind of group in the time that we've got to try and put very prescriptive structures in place that you might need to do, perhaps in a performance environment very quickly, and say, you're going to press like this, you're going to outlet like this, you're going to... Um, you know, all those kind of things. It would be impossible to do that effectively with the limited time that we have with this group at the stage that they're at in their hockey careers which for many of them is still right at the beginning really some of them are only 14 years old um, so it's very much about putting them in exposing them to the environment to trying to help them along uh, individually uh, and to try and get them to have a really good perspective of growing and developing as into hopefully a senior international hockey player and for all of them that's the goal which is partly why you know the Alex Danson uh, intervention was so effective because that 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 was their their target if you like that's who they want to be not necessarily positionally but as an athlete and that's where we're trying to get them with that right set of um you know psychological skills in terms of their uh their positioning but their you know their attitudes as well as their sort of physique and skill set etc that's that's where we're going this might be an unfair question so throw it back if it is so you mentioned about Alex and the story that you gave around her waking her dad up to go out for a, for a run to improve her fitness it would seem from this point of view that she's a very driven from within person how might or even can a coach influence that inner drive within the players that in their care so for me this um, relates very strongly to uh, uh, to self-determination theory from an academic perspective and I think that's quite uh, it's a very it's very popular at the moment but actually it's been quite long-standing as a, as a theoretical perspective and I think um, there are some really sound principles in there and, and those principles are simply if you you give people a sense of control over what they're doing they have the right to make some decisions they can be quite guided decisions so for example you might give them the choice of two for example or you might say oh so uh you know do you want to do this by method x or by method y or you could make it more open and say well perhaps you could design this culture if you like is uh, as you see fit it's then um 
Uh, it's about helping them to understand their strengths, their competence in an environment. So it's about reaffirming that and to, and to help them to understand that they are, as all our girls in the 16s program are, they are very good at what they do. They have great qualities and they have great value to add to the entire environment and for them to try and to help them to be secure in that understanding of their uh, their own competence but then to try and make them feel a really important part of the group as well so they have a strong sense of belonging and relatedness and I think if you can I, I strongly believe at the moment that those are three really foundational principles of all of of almost all environments you know that sense of autonomy that sense of control over what you're doing that you believe that you're good at this that you've got something to offer and that to recognize that that is valued by the group i think if you can put those three things in place then you know that will lead to a greater sense of drive intrinsic motivation whatever you want to call it andy one of the phrases that you mentioned before was it depends and we'll have a like i said a varied range of coaches working in a multitude of environments and the decisions that they make and the way in which they behave may very well much depend on the context the situation that being said what Don's just put forward there around trying to create that environment that is self-determined seem would seem on the surface like something relevant regardless of the environment in which a coach is working in would you agree Yes, I agree with everything Don says. I going to say it depends then. <laughs> I agree with everything Don says. It depends in the context. I, as Don was talking, I was reminded of Dick Bate. Dick Bate is a good friend of mine and one of the best coach educators, but also one of the best coaches I've seen. In terms of creating a motivational climate, self-determination theory, he could do that with any group given in any time frame. But what that actually looked like was very different and if you didn't know what he was trying to do you might see him in isolation with um, an international under 17s group acting in a certain way that might appear very autocratic you're doing this for this reason and this is the outcome but actually given the time constraints he was trying to be pragmatic and saying if we don't get this defensive shape right if we don't do this actually we won't succeed and actually the longer we can hang on in this tournament the better we will get we will grow and we will be better by the end but if you catch him coaching in one instance you'd say you'd get a completely different picture of what he was actually doing in a different context it depends you would see him being questioning able to ask things have more time treat the players in a different way and you would describe him as a different coach but actually if you distilled what he was doing in both environments with the different teams at heart motivational climate believed in the individuals but it looked different and that's the danger for young coaches when they see somebody work or they hear somebody speak they copy mm. and sometimes they copy it's not the same thing that they're copying what dick was doing in one text context was very correct was very right but if you copied that to a different group it might not work because you didn't actually understand what he was doing so why i dived in on the mic was you talk about self-determination theory motivational climate uh, environments and cultures i think for young coaches the sooner they come to understand those concepts those terms and the detail that sits within those terms i think they more they understand the um detail 
actually, the more different their coaching behaviours might look in different contexts because they understand the subtleties of what this is. So it depends is still my, my get out answer. And I've, I've come full circle. I wanted to do my PhD when I went to university on coach effectiveness. But back in 1985, my perception of what coach effectiveness was, well, what does this coach do? She does this, he does this, therefore that must be right. The more I've understood and tried to learn about coaching, it depends is actually the correct actor. Coach effectiveness depends on situation, context, age, motivational climate, what is success, what are you comfortable with, what is your philosophy, what do the players want, and this becomes such a social relationship, interconnected world of coaching, effective coaching can look very very different for different groups so all of the you know the different coaches working in different sports and different age groups just be yourself Tr trust yourself for where you're at the coaching now just make honest decisions what do you think's right for that group today and tomorrow and the day after and that's absolutely fine don't over question and oh be over critical yes reflect what's worked not what's not worked but just do get into coaching do lots of coaching and only i think by doing lots of coaching do you then start to understand these subtleties of time pressures what will work for certain groups do i need to focus more on the individual or more on the team it depends that individual with this team is really really important for me therefore i've got to look after that individual in a different context that individual will be no good in this other team because actually the the rest of the team won't tolerate their behavior so that individual becomes less important to me but it's all context driven and what you're comfortable with absolutely and it takes me back to when i graduated from university myself and be honest i came out with with the, quite an ego i was just done my ua for b at 21 22 and and thought I knew everything there was to know and the longer I, I went on down the rabbit hole it reminded me of a, a quote I'm, I'm going to butcher this now and I think it was Isaac Newton but someone will correct me on that the larger the island of knowledge the longer the coastline of the unknown so in other words the more that you know the more that you realize you don't yet know and that kept me in good stead reminded me of the, that copycat behavior when I first the first team it was an under-18s school team that I was coaching f straight out of, uh, of university. And it was just at the time when the FA were releasing videos on the FA.com of England training sessions. So this, for me, was magic because all I would do... OK, what, what's... Um, I think it was uh, Sven Goran Eriksson and Steve McLaren were working at the time. And I would just literally go on and... OK, I'll, I'll, I'll take that session and, and do it with, with the boys tonight. Did it work? Absolutely not. But at that point, in that stage of my own coaching, I didn't really have the understanding to to recognise how important that context is. The subtleties of of understanding why coaches have done something is is wonderful. And it's unless you ask the coach, 
what was your desired outcome for that particular part of the session why did you do that um you you don't know you don't understand what's inside the coach's head so an example for many many years in professional football the start of training you would see these little circles wouldn't you of players stood around a circle and having a bit of fun and a bit of laughter and people running in the middle trying to get a touch on it and and for years i used to think what a waste of time why is a coach allowing that to happen and ruin uh, 15 minutes of the available hour and a bit coaching time on frivolous behavior that was me as a novice come full circle i asked a really experienced coach i won't explain the context here why do you allow that to happen you know that you could use the time andy it's got nothing to do with what i'm trying to do i need them to come from the dressing room into my main bulk of my session where i want them to learn and understand something and, and where i'm going to start to help and direct but i can't expect them to come from dressing room to that warmed up mentally physically to learn so i allow that activity purely so they can get out of their system a lot of energy a lot of frustration a bit of laughter a bit of banter a social domain um get that done in that context and actually now i'm quite happy for other coaches to get that happen because they're better at that than i so when they come to me they're in a state to learn and it's almost an unwritten rule it's the flow of the session dressing room bit of a warm-up physically bit of a warm-up mentally bit of a warm-up socially bit of a warm-up technically all of the different four corner things all done in a nice environment where they're enjoying it they're comfortable and if a particular individual struggling on a certain day they can join in or not join in to the extent that they want so they have choice they have autonomy of getting engaged in this but they know then after 25 minutes half an hour when they come to me and the bulk of the substantive session is about x they're all as ready as they can be on that day they wouldn't be ready if i was trying to go into that straight away now that is a really complicated way of explaining the first 25 minutes of a training session but in reality if i was just copying i might copy that behavior and think that little circle that's what's got to be in a good session no no there was a real thought through deliberate policy so when i see that little circle happen in a different session where actually they allow two minutes at it now let's move on you know you've missed the you've missed the understanding of why that was important you've not actually allowed it to go long enough to get to where you need to be for them to transition into the learning phase of what i'm about and some days two minutes is enough but other days i need 15 minutes at it because they've had a defeat at the weekend they're actually getting rid of their angst they're getting rid of all of that and we just need that to go on and then i think the effective coach has this feel has this um, through observation through diagnosis yep they're ready now let's move on to the next bit but that's a real trained eye and experience it's not copying the practice so the practice itself may or may not be appropriate and again that that it depends comes to the forefront once again so that behavior across the country of grassroots the thousands of grassroots coaches up and down the country are dealing with a constraint that they have 3,600 seconds on an AstroTurf that they've paid X amount of money for and there isn't a, uh, a moment to lose so that behaviour then becomes potentially difficult if we're looking at well how do you use that hour a week to maximise the learning 
coach in your situation has done it for a, a, a certain reason if I was to pick that up as a novice coach and spend half of my time with, with players um, in a circle I might actually be um, be struggling to help the players to learn the game maybe because I didn't understand like you were saying the reason behind what the, that coach in question was doing it for but what are the kids there for? Uh, what is it you think you're trying to teach in these 3,600 seconds teach who, who says they want to be taught it could just be that that medium that activity is giving them what they want for a period of time you might want as a coach to do something else fine but actually they're coming to be with their mates have a bit of fun and you know what i want to uh, i want to try and develop that flick over somebody coming in and i don't get practice in a real game or in a training session to do that but i do get practice at it in a fun little mess around at the beginning so this is back to what is effective coaching what is an effective coaching session it depends why are they coming what level are they at what are you trying to do with them that's effective use of that 3600 seconds not a preconceived idea of well that's worked with elite level kids doing that i want to get from a to b in this session but the kids are all coming to your session some of them might have driven an hour and a half to get there they need some time to warm up into the session I want to kind of pull this notion around philosophy um, and practice together. We've got some uh, audience questions that have been sent in through Twitter that we'll get onto that are slightly off topic, but still relevant nevertheless. Summarising all this, if you had um, a piece of advice or maybe one or two questions that a young novice or old novice coach might ask themselves to start this process off formalizing or bringing together a coaching philosophy what what might that be i think that i would encourage any coach thinking about this to to be thinking analytically about why they do what they do and to this is my inherent bias here due to my job but also my particular way of thinking to look at to look at the evidence base to look for the evidence and to say why should we uh do things in a particular way and what is effective and um because i think an awful lot of our industry is based in in replication of others um but perhaps without a really good understanding of why and i think we also still have as i mentioned right at the beginning a a disposition to to copy those who are or to uh try and replicate the practice of those who are seemingly above or better than us and i'm just i think that's a uh, quite a weak way to go about it to be honest i think if we're really thinking about uh developing your practice then think about why are you doing what you're doing to look for some really good quality evidence to underpin some of those decisions and that can be quite difficult and that can be really complex because i think as andy said there there the more you look uh for evidence the more you'll realize as you've just said there's so much we don't know and there's so uh, there is no evidence that would underpin a a right way to do this so i think to understand all the different ways that you know you or lots of different ways that you could operate and to understand the evidence underpinning them um for me that's that's crucial for for developing practice as a coach the reason we're good working together is that is a really articulate answer 
my answer is be yourself and consider the needs of the group that you've got fantastic brilliant okay i want to move on to the audience questions now that, that have been sent in to us so we've got four to cover and the questions are short but your answers can be as as detailed or as short as you like so andy i'm going to start with you what have you changed your mind about in regards to your own coaching it's more about giving the players what they need rather than a preconceived idea of this has got to meet my curriculum for this time of the year or so very much been we've played a game at the weekend this is how people have performed this is what we need I might have when I'm very uh, novice coach gone well today's session is going to be about passing and dribbling and fitness and this but it might not be what they need so meeting more the needs of that group of players at that moment in time I think that's that would be my emphasis there same question Don um, I've learnt or I've changed my mind in terms of uh, I've learnt to need to get over my own ego and my own um, uh, yeah to get over my own ego because there have been points I guess in my career perhaps up till not too many years ago uh, which is embarrassing to think about where I've taken some pretty uh, dogmatic positions on stuff some apps I've made some absolutes and uh, I can remember so only what five years ago now uh, and I was a, uh, a very much a uh, games-based advocate still am but I was I was dogmatic to the point of saying you know this is it you don't need this games-based that that's the way you should coach and I went to uh Danny Kerry's who's the um uh women's GB uh, hockey coach he did a debrief workshop from the 2012 games at which we'd won our first bronze medal for 20 years and uh uh he's a, an inspirational figure in our sport and is a, obviously a fantastic coach uh, and he said at that workshop he said uh, i will i will never do uh, another unopposed drill in my life um, or activity in my life and he said uh, and somebody asked him uh, i think something like oh, what advice would you give to uh, to up and coming coaches he said uh, he said he said the same he said never do an unopposed activity and I was sat in the audience going, yeah, quite right, quite right, applauding loudly. I probably wasn't applauding, but in my mind I was thinking, yes, this is it, quite right. Um, and then, just as was, uh, I've changed in my perspective in that, in that mind, to, to get rid of that uh, dogmatic belief that I must be right in this <coughs> philosophy. Um, I still heavily, heavily believe in the value of, of context-led games-based practice, absolutely. But similarly, I went to... Uh, went to observe a fantastic coach at one time. He was a, a rugby coach and a former uh, Six Nations winner, uh, winning coach. So really, really fantastic. And he started after the warm up. His first uh, meaningful activity was uh, was an unopposed racing game, essentially with some passing and moves. And he'd call out the move, and the 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 two teams would race each other to do it the quickest, etc. And I just interviewed him and he'd just been talking about the value of games based context led activity uh, of ensuring that, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And I'm and I'm watching this going, what, but what's he doing? He's, he's saying one thing and doing another. Um, and it, it just became so evident from that that activity for that group in that context at that time put them at a point where they were absolutely buzzing. 
they were loving it they were competing they were firing the ball around they and the rest of the session to a certain extent lived on the energy of that first activity it absolutely uh, just got it was perfect for them and they loved it they clearly done it lots of times before it was one of the things that they did it was chucking it down with rain um, it was horrid etc you know the pitch was cutting up all over the place but the guys absolutely loved it um, and now I might come back and argue and say well clearly they, they're not going to be a better rugby team for being able to be able to do those unopposed moves etc so I'd still argue that perhaps as a learning activity it's suboptimal that's a lo- lovely word that lots of people are using at the moment love that um, but as a coaching activity for that session f- brilliant absolutely genius and he then went on to do um, some really great stuff which was uh, hugely engaged with clearly prepping for the you know Saturday's game etc that they were working towards um, and it was it was brilliant and I lo- and it just reaffirmed for me um, the need as Andy said to to ask that it depends question to put the right activity in the right context at the right time for the right purpose for the right group um, and there are many different ways to do things and there are many different purposes for for activities in answer to your simple question what have you changed your mind about Don's story's just reminded me the amount of planning that you need to do to make a session look simple but really slick is actually masses and masses so you do have to as a coach plan all of this to the nth detail but the point I was uh, maybe changed my mind about but it's okay to change so early in my coaching life I might have gone I've done all this planning I've done all the things this is the session I'm going to do for this group I actually never felt the session so I started it I'm going to do A B C then D finish good session well planned on time good use of my 360 minutes or however many seconds but have the athletes got what they need I think as I've gone on what have I changed my mind about it's okay to change it's okay to not get everything done it's okay to get to a certain point in a training session and go that's enough that's fine done because the session's grown or evolved and gone with the session as Don was saying the flow to it's got exactly where the players need to be so you might go I'm cutting this short that's done that's enough for today I can't replicate I want them to leave the session like that and on a different day I need to do something else to make them leave the session so I've changed my mind about maybe planning and and how flexible i can be next question what's the, been the best investment that you've you've made in your own coaching and while you think of the answer i'll, I'll give you a a quirky example from my own coaching so the best investment that i have made in recent memory was a six pound pair of apple headphones i think other headphones are available but the ones with the the microphone on and i coupled that with a tie clip and some masking tape and the reason why that's the best investment I've made is it's a very simple way that I have been able to make my own lavalier mic that can plug into my phone and I can record my sessions other coaches sessions on the voice notes so for six pounds I'm able to use that audio and potentially coupled with some some video to look back and and help the process of reflection so what Don, would you say is the, is the best investment that you've made in your own coaching? Uh, well, a very deliberate um, purchase uh, a couple of years ago was uh, featured around, I, I have a real belief uh, in the value of performance analysis, use of video, essentially, to help people learn. Um, but I'm 
perhaps for years did exactly what everybody has to do when, um, or had to do when you get the video i.e. you capture some video and then you uh, you lead your players sort of through some some video footage etc um, and what I really wanted to do educationally was to um, get better athlete engagement and involvement in that analysis of video so what I wanted ideally was to create some sort of subgroups in my team who would take responsibility to analyze particular aspects of our performance uh, from say one week to the next and how that would inform training so uh, we purchased a subscription to a, a, an online coaching platform called coach logic which is actually quite popular with particularly with rugby clubs but uh, growing more broadly than that as well um, and actually this uh, is a system they used at the, the West Ham Academy in football um, and it just enables um, each athlete or small groups of athletes to watch something that you've prepared for them and both to actively engage with that content either to to tag stuff on it or to write comments about it and you can generate some conversation either online or use that as a as a mechanism to inform something else so the best examples i came I, I, I went and spoke to quite a few rugby clubs about how they did this and the best examples i saw were for example there was a team that would look uh, that were responsible for analyzing the scrummaging at the weekend's games and so the coach would clip up all the scrums put them online uh, and one of the members of the scrummaging team would have responsibility each week for collating some feedback from everybody having sort of watched it and analyzed it what's going on here and their analysis of that would feed into uh, the beginning of a uh, of just a 15 minute video meeting before training each week so they would have a, a, you know two minutes to give a summary of what they'd found coaches would then pick up on that and hopefully then go and try and apply that in there uh, in the training that immediately followed and I thought so that's and that there's a lot of work involved with that essentially but as a mechanism for uh, getting groups of athletes to actively uh, analyze what's going on and to perhaps come up with some things that they think were good and, and could be developed that that's been a really useful mechanism for that this is not the answer you're expecting and i'm not even sure it's politically correct and we might have to edit it um great partner somebody that i can share um as a coach share my frustrations my worries my angst and know that actually somebody understands uh, what a coach is going through and either i need to talk this through or actually i don't need to talk it through so the best investment i've made great partner who understands my world because quite often with a novice coach or a really experienced coach coaching can be very lonely and actually you can be mm, questioning yourself about many many things so the best investment in sharing uh, on a broader sense a community of practice but at a personal level a partner that you go do you know what i had a rubbish session today i did da, 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 da. this was wrong and she's able to go so it doesn't matter or well what would you do different or so somebody who knows you and understands you as a coach in order to help you get through your day-by-day -day events as a coach okay what have you come across videos books articles journals what have you come across that's impacted you recently uh, well obviously my um well our job it really it involves reading stuff continuously and just you know there's stuff coming out all of the time that's just fascinating so um 
there are so many things I could uh, potentially share. I think for um, for every coach, uh, the best resource I've come across recently is um, is Wade Gilbert's new book called Coaching Better Every Season. Uh, and for me, it's a really good applicable uh, mater- uh, resource material, almost for for any coach who has. Um, uh, sort of a, a team or a group to work with whether it be for one season or for multiple seasons and the book is sort of structured around um, things things you can do as a coach before before a season during a season af- after a season uh, in order to make your coaching practice more effective from from a multitude of perspectives um, and it, it begins with these things about uh, your values philosophy culture all the some of those things we've talked about gives some activities to do about uh, how you could do that as a team or as a coaching team and um, um, and just has I think 12 chapters of um, uh, different ways of, uh, of applying that so it's 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 great because it's um, sort of theoretically informed if you like it's got a good really good evidence base but it's not uh, hugely overt about that essentially it gives lots of references to say you know this is the underpinning etc but the application of the book is really practical um, so I think it's a really nice balance between a really well-informed, um, evidence-based book, but that has a real sort of practical heart to it. And I'm really enjoying that as a moment at the moment, um, sort of reading way, my way, way through that, thinking how this could you know, greatly enhance my practice. And given most of the time I'm trying to catch up with Don, I'm normally a couple of months behind. Um, one of the best things I've come across is an interview script, a set of questions that Don and the colleagues did about interviewing coaches about how did they learn what made them better and so on and so forth so i'm sure we can get an appropriate link to the actual article but it was give some very simple questions for coaches that they can reflect on and ask other coaches about that makes you think about learning and developing and your day-to-day growth as a coach fantastic and what we'll do is we'll link those uh, both those resources up in the show notes so the coaches just tap on the on the player they should find the, the links to those uh, last one um, I think we might have touched on it as we've gone on through the this conversation but what advice would you have given yourself when you were first starting out so if you could go back in the time machine you meet yourself when you when you first start coaching what advice would you say to yourself yeah I think we we, we have to touched upon this but for me it's i'd be telling myself get over yourself get over your own ego um recognize that you're not pursuing the right way to do this because you'll you'll never get there and actually that doesn't exist it's a rubbish question um and recognize that therefore this is the start of a lifelong learning journey so you know i heartily believe that i'll be learning to coach uh, until i quit coaching essentially and you'll never get to the end or the right way of doing it uh, and in because that journey is going to be unique and bespoke recognize that there are many other people out there who are undergoing their own journeys who'll come to different who'll who'll go on a different pathway from you will believe slightly different things but they are uh, just as valuable just as informed uh, and just as expert as you might be um, in, in in what they believe and how they think again agreeing with Don um, be yourself the advice I would give starting out be yourself as a coach expect to make loads of mistakes and enjoy making those mistakes because you'll learn from them so take the fear out of 
you've got to do it this way go with what you think is best on any session on any given day on any given month do what you think is best for the group that you've got and don't worry about making mistakes Don, Andy, can't thank you enough for this. Where might coaches be able to find out a little bit more about your work or even connect with you? Um, well, they could... Uh, do all the usual social media mechanisms. Twitter is probably best uh, for uh, for me, so very happy there. But also... Um, obviously as part of our work uh, just at the university we are uh, we have a sort of outward facing uh, web page that uh, that you can go to so for either of us you can search for our name and then put in university of worcester into uh, the google uh, the google or whatever search engine you use just hit and that will take you to our um, our home page so there and that tells us a little bit more about us and gives you the contact details to get in touch and we'll sort of uh, give a uh, some links to the things that we write about and the things that we uh, have sort of put out there in the world that, uh, that's probably a good mechanism very happy always to uh, receive communication from people who want to talk about coaching uh, not being Twitter related not being social media navvy I'd have to stick with uh, email to the university here at the University of Worcester and uh, myself and Don would link and get back to you uh, with, with any question we can help with brilliant Dr. Don Vinson, Dr. Andy Kale, this has been an amazing couple of hours that we've spent. I've learned so much. I hope the guys listening in on the uh, the podcast have too. Um, and I look forward to hopefully getting you on for another round two at some point in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please help spread the word or leave us a review on iTunes. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. You can reach me on Twitter at JackWalton1. And don't forget to follow Liverpool FA at Liverpool underscore CFA. See you next time.